Hello everyone, Alan Mishra here from the Vitality Explorer News Podcast. Thank you for listening today. Our goal as always is to energize you and help you lead your most vital life. Please sign up at vitalityexplorers.com for a free text message newsletter that comes to your phone each and every Monday with specific actionable and scientific ways to enhance your vitality. This week on Vitality Explorer News, we are going to go over some things that are going to just be fun and hopefully interesting. The first one uh, is going to be about smiling and how it can enhance your happiness. The second is seven hours of sleep reduces the risk of disease. And the final one we're going to talk about today is the Vitality Elephant. But first, let's start with a quote. Here it is. Wrinkles will go where the smiles have been. Excuse me. Wrinkles will only go where the smiles have been. And that's from the poet and prophet Jimmy Buffett. All right. So let's dive right into an awesome new piece of research. And this is called Smiling Enhances Happiness. Now, is that actually true? Well, when I, when I saw this article this week in preparation for the, for the podcast and the Vitality Explorer News a Substack site where you can see the details of this, uh, I was staggered. And by the way, please, if you're, if you're enjoying this, please share this podcast with your friends and your family and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. The number of people who are listening and sharing it is just really growing rapidly, and I am absolutely delighted. So the smiling paper actually came out of Stanford, and I, I got an alert on my phone about it, and it was really cool to read. So this idea is that you're really posing a smile, all right? And we're going to go into a lot of the details of it, but the concept is based on over 100 years of data that suggests that posing a smile can improve your sense of happiness. And it's, it's also based on this concept of a facial feedback hypothesis. And that is something really interesting, right? It's that your emotions can be influenced by the contraction of the muscles in your face. Think about that for a second. Your emotions can be influenced by the, the contract, just contracting your muscles, by, by faking a smile, essentially. So I found it a little, you know, I, I, I was a little skeptical. But then there was a headline from a press release uh, out of Stanford. And here's the, here's the headline, quote, Global collaboration led by Stanford researchers shows that a posed smile can improve your mood. That's actually, if you think about it, a staggering conclusion, right? But, but let's just jump into this, okay? I, I was pretty skeptical, so I wanted to read the paper. And it's a very dense paper, um, but I think it's actually a landmark paper. They had 3,878 participants from 19 countries. And here's their hypothesis, quote, we hypothesize that participants would report experiencing more happiness when posing happy versus neutral facial expressions. And our main research question was whether the participants would report feeling happier when posing happy versus neutral expressions. One of the key components of this paper is that they included skeptics of this hypothesis because the data over the last 100 years has been up, down, and around the corner. So the lead researcher recruited sort of what they call a blue team and a red team where they're trying to figure out, does this actually true? And they spent a lot of time looking at the methodology of trying to figure out um, whether or not this hypothesis of posing a smile would be meaningful enough to change your sense of self-reported happiness. 
So I'm going to dive, in, dive into some of the details of it and I'll, I'll, I'll try to explain it. But it took me a long time, and I probably read this paper three or four times, to completely understand it. But they had three different versions of how to pose a smile. Because I guess in the data, in the literature, previous literature, there was differences. One way of posing a smile was facial mimicry. So you're looking at an actor or an actress smiling and you're trying to mimic that smile. That's one. Second is, is what they call voluntary facial action. You're just kind of faking that smile. You're not looking at a picture. And the third is what they call pen in mouth. You just stick a pen in your mouth. And I'm going to try this right now. Okay. Stick the pen in my mouth. And, and what happens is then you, the corners of your mouth turn up and it sort of mimics the uh, mimics smiling. So when they, when they had, when they reviewed the data, they also had people look at either happy or neutral types of photos. And the happy photos were things of like dogs or flowers or kittens or rainbows or neutral things like maybe a parking lot or a, uh, something that wasn't, you know, going to evoke any sort of emotion. And what they found was quite interesting. The two facial mimicry and voluntary facial action, that is again, looking at like an actor or an actress and trying to mimic that smile or just voluntarily trying to pose a smile, um, increased the self-reported happiness. That's pretty, pretty amazing, right? The pen in the mouth didn't do as well, but you know, when you're trying to mimic somebody else smiling or you're posing a smile yourself, um, here's, here's the quote. Partial or full recreations of happy expressions can modulate and initiate feelings of happiness. It's pretty crazy, right? That's awesome. So here's the Vitality Explorer analysis and recommendation. Smiling is a simple, zero-cost way to enhance your happiness and vitality, right? If you just pose a smile, regardless of how you are feeling, the data suggests that you're going to feel better. And I think the data is well done. This is a very, very well done study. Um, it was published in Nature Human Behavior. The lead author was Coles. And the, the, the title of the paper was a multi-lab test of facial feedback hypothesis by the Many Smiles Collaboration. Wouldn't you like to be part of that, the Many Smiles Collaboration? Um, well, after reading this and digesting it and, and kind of believing that this is a, a meaningful paper, I, I'm going to try to do something over the next week or so. I am going to on purpose smile at least three times per day, regardless of how I feel, and I'll report back in a future podcast. Um, I just don't see I just don't see a downside, right? Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to you know maybe even if I'm faking it or maybe if I'm not feeling well uh, emotionally, that's going to help me. So um, there's no perfect data on that just yet as an intervention, but I think if you consider smiling a little more. There's a chance, there's a pretty decent chance based on the data that it's going to improve your mood, sensation of happiness, and in my suggestion, maybe your overall vitality. So check out the Vitality Explorer Substack site online, um, and uh, please leave me any comments or suggestions about this, this paper that I think is quite interesting. The second one we're going to talk about today is how seven hours of sleep reduces your risk of developing disease. Now, we've talked a lot about sleep on Vitality Explorer News, and there's lots and lots of data about why sleep is crucial. We're going to talk in a minute about why we actually sleep, and I'm still not sure about that. But this paper that we're going to go over right now uh, tried to answer this question of, can sleeping seven hours really reduce the risk of developing serious disease? Um, now, again, I try to get large papers with, with long-term follow-up, and this is a good example of one of those papers. This had 7,000 participants and 
25 years of follow-up. Okay, so that's a massive data set and let's explore the conclusions and then dive into the data. So the researchers found a quote, robust association of sleep duration less than five hours uh, with, associated with a higher risk of developing what they call multimorbidity. Now I had to look that up. Multimorbidity was defined as two or more chronic diseases out of a predefined list of 13. And let's go over these 13 chronic diseases and if you slept less than five hours per night, you had an increased risk of developing that. Number one, diabetes. Two, cancer. Three, coronary artery disease. Four, stroke. Five, heart failure. Six, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, also known as COPD. And I'll just read the rest of the list. Chronic kidney disease, liver disease, depression, dementia, mental disorders other than dementia, Parkinson's disease, and finishing with uh, one of my favorites, arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. So I think this list is crucial because it includes, you know, things from all over the body and brain, including dementia, depression, and arthritis. A couple other conclusions from the paper are, are interesting. And here's, here's a couple quotes. Quote, analysis of transition in health states showed short sleep duration at age 50 to be associated with a 20% increased risk of developing a first chronic disease. Here's the second one. Quote, our comprehensive analysis of the association of sleep duration with multimorbidity and the natural course of chronic disease showed sleep, short sleep duration to be associated with the onset of chronic disease. All right, that's, that's pretty important conclusions. And then they, they, they sort of flipped it around. They're trying to figure out, okay, we now know that if you sleep less than five hours a night, you're going to have an increased risk of developing one of these, you know, unfortunately difficult and very challenging and sometimes life-threatening diseases. But where's the crossover point? Well, the crossover point of sleeping seven hours per night um, decreased the risk of developing this multimorbidity. And again, there's some of the charts and graphs up on the Vitality Explorer and use Substack site for you to review. But over time, between the ages of 50 and 70, there's anywhere between somewhere a 20 to up to a 40% increased risk of developing two or more of these chronic diseases defined as multimorbidity if you slept less than five hours compared to seven hours. So here's sort of the analysis and, and recommendations based on this paper. And once again, more and more data is piling up that sleep is the foundation of our physical and mental well-being. And this is just another paper published this year in the fall of 2022 um, that suggests that we should not be regulating sleep to the bottom of our to-do list. Too often we do that. We keep we're running around um, all day long and then at the end of the day we're trying to figure out, okay, I got to sleep. I think we need to turn that around and plan to sleep better or you know, make sure that it is a primary priority. And the data from this paper suggests that seven hours can help us reduce the risk of developing it, uh, developing a chronic disease. So instead of putting it at the bottom of the list, I suggest that we consider sleep a superpower. Last week we were talking about how to optimize our time and hopefully we, we learned a little bit about how to plug some of those life leaks that we have like doom scrolling on our phone or maybe gossiping or complaining or watching something on streaming media that's just frankly terrible. And, and my suggestion is if you're going to pick one thing to do with that extra 15 or 17 minutes or, you know, a thousand seconds, I would put that towards your sleep. Okay. Try to sleep 15 minutes more. 
This, this leads me to another question, which is just, it haunts me. I still don't understand why we spend one third of our lives in this semi-conscious state we call sleep. Uh, why? Um, you know, I know there's a lot of scientific theories out there, uh, and some of, some of them are the following. Well, you need to rest, so it restores your function, allows your body to relax and re repair it yourself. The second, which is really the most common one, is this idea of brain plasticity, where we sleep and it allows our brain to sort of rewire itself or flush out waste products, uh, literally clearing your head. The third is this idea of energy conservation. So when you sleep, you're not burning as many calories, so you don't need to, you know, when you're awake, go gather or hunt for more food. So my take on this is that I'm, I think all of those are probably true, but I think we still need a fundamental breakthrough to truly understand why we spend a third of our lives sort of unconscious. And an example for me is last night I slept very well subjectively, but I had some very vivid, very active chase, you know, kind of dreams running around. And I, I, I woke up thinking, God, I really, I did a lot last night, <laughs> but I was asleep. So I don't know, uh, help me out there. If anybody's listening to this, I need, I need some help in trying to understand why I slept really well, but I had a very, I think, active brain last night. Um, another interesting thing to think about is that, you know, this concept of sleeping in stages or sleeping at two times, and you know, if you look back in the data about sleep, the historical record is there's hundreds and hundreds of references to segmented sleep. And it goes back to electricity in the 1880s, I think, when you know people started having access to artificial light more. Now, obviously, you had candles, but the electrification of the world led to people staying up more. Prior to that. Lots and lots of data suggested that people slept in two different segments or two hour, uh, two four hours ish kind of segments. So if I have to get up in the middle of the night, maybe to go to the bathroom or something, I, I need ways to put myself back to sleep. But I also don't sleep shame myself if I don't sleep all the way for seven or eight hours. Um, now there's lots of different ways to measure how how you're doing. There's lots of different tools. Uh, here's a few of my takes on how to optimize your sleep. Number one, you know when you're sleeping well. You can keep something called a sleep diary. And that sleep diary is simply like, when did I try to go to sleep by turning the lights off? And when did I get up? Okay, that represents the total amount of time you're trying to sleep. The second one is to record how well you slept the night before on a zero to 10 or zero to 100 point scale. And then the third part of that is to give yourself a little comment. Did I exercise the day before, which is a great relaxation strategy? Did I have stress at work or home? What are the correlates of you not sleeping well or the correlates of you sleeping well? And that's part of a sleep diary. I presently am a, a big skeptic of, of the, you know, like wearing my eye watch to bed. I'm not going to do that. I, I think that's kind of crazy. And the, the data on, on some of the rings or the, the wearables uh, is just simply not validated, uh, in my opinion. I think we know when we sleep well we can figure that out a little bit more if we just keep a, a sleep diary for a week or so. And you can look on the Vitality Explorer and use Substack site. There's a few posts about this that I, hopefully you will find meaningful and helpful as you try to turn sleep into a superpower. By the way, if you're also working on your athletics, it's 
or your academics, it's very clear that sleep helps both your athletics and academics. All right. So this uh, study we talked about with the five versus seven hours was published this year by Sabia et al. Again, look on the Vitality Explorer Substack site for some of the references, the full abstract from the paper. And then we're going to finish this week's Vitality Explorer News podcast with the Vitality Elephant. Okay, this is a little bit of an indulgent segment for me. I left it to the end because it's sort of my crazy idea of trying to figure out how and what the word vitality means, how to measure it. I came across a cartoon of, of, the, of what they call the you know, scientist, the blind scientist trying to figure out what the elephant was this week. It just popped up as I was scrolling around and then I, it hit me like, wait a minute. That's similar to what vitality is. I have been trying like a blind scientist to figure out what that word means. Now, if you're not familiar with the cartoon, I, I just look up the you know blindfolded or blind scientist trying to figure out what an elephant is. Essentially, they're these scientists in their white coats with blindfolds on palpating different parts of the elephant. And somebody asks, what is this? And so the scientist that touches the tusk Tusks thinks it's, you know, um, something where uh, it could be a spear or a weapon. If they touch the trunk, they think it's a snake. If they touch the leg, which is a big, you know, burly leg, they think it's actually a tree trunk. If they touch just the body, they'll consider it a wall. If they're in and around or touching the uh, in and around or nearby the ears, if they're especially if they're flapping, they may think it's a, a fan. And finally, if you touch the tail, it's a rope. So I, I, I try to co-opt that a little bit. And then I, I said, okay, if you touch the tusks, maybe, and, and then extend this analogy instead of to an elephant, but to what vitality is, if you touch the tusks of somebody or the sharpness of somebody, maybe it's just their physical prowess. If you touch the trunk, maybe that's the analogy to what we eat. If, you, if you're eating well, then maybe vitality is all about what we eat. If you just look at the legs and the big muscular legs of an elephant, maybe it's just how fast you can run or how, how, much, you, how much of a tree you can crush with your, by stomping on it. If you touch the body or you listen to the heart of the elephant, which a lot of people might say is that you know, your vitality is fully connected only to your cardiovascular system for the cardiologists out there. You know, it's your blood pressure, it's your heart rate, it's your, you know, your sense of you know, how, how well your heart is functioning. Um, other people will just say, okay, your vitality is solely connected to your mental wellness um, and somehow forgetting the other components of it. The final one is maybe instead of the tail, I, I came up with this snarky idea of Maybe what comes out nearby the tail, the elephant dung, and it maybe your your overall sense of vitality is in your microbiome. This this idea again. Thank you for indulging me. If you're listening to this, it, it sort of broke down when I thought of um, your social vitality and your spiritual vitality, which led me to the development of what I call the vitality wheel. And that's actually where the Vitality Explorer News logo comes from. So if you've seen this sort of multicolored. Uh, wheel where there's physical, mental, social, and spiritual on there. It's meant to kind of mimic a flywheel. And for those people who aren't uh, really don't know what a flywheel is, it's it's a large disc that rotates on a shaft, and its functions to main, maintain uh, momentum and smoothness of speed of a mechanical device. So your car is the best example of that. If you have a flywheel in your car that helps maintain the momentum when the engine is firing so it doesn't jerk around, okay? So I think of your vitality as 
sort of this vital wheel where your physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being are sort of the four engines that are driving your vitality. So each one of them is important, your physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being, uh, but they need fuel, all right? And these, these four engines are fueled by eight core principles of vitality, time management, your sense of hope, your sense of purpose, how fit you are overall, both physically and mentally, your closeness or connections or camaraderie with others, how well you are sleeping, which we just talked about, your overall sense of toughness or resilience, and finally, your service to others. So that's where I ended up developing this thing I call BY-SCORE, B-Y-SCORE, which is what I've been using for, for a long time now for my classes, which I'm presently teaching my Stanford Continuing Studies, Energize Your Life class. I've also used it at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford, University of Cambridge, University of Michigan, and many other institutions and, and entities. But what I'm trying to figure out is, is this meaningful? So you can, you can try, I've sort of kept it under the wraps for a while, but now I'm opening it up to anybody who wants to try it. You can go to viscore.com or the, there's a link on the Vitality Explorer and use Substack site. Because what I'm trying to figure out in addition to presenting this information is how can we collectively overall improve our sense of vitality? And I had an interesting thought as I was driving around is if each and every one of us were living to our fullest potential, our fullest lives, think of all the problems we could solve. Think of all the, think about what we could all collectively do if we were more vital. All right. That's what this is all about. Uh, Vitality Explorer News and my work on vitality is focused on enhancing global vitality one person at a time. So if even one person out there listening to this podcast has had their vitality enhanced by what we learned today, then I will have done my job. And in review, number one, smile more often. It, it clearly has data to support that it can improve your sense of happiness and overall well-being. Sleep for at least seven hours. Um, one of the other things that was embedded in that paper is that the small percentage of people who actually sleep less than three, three hours. So there's some genetic values, some genetic variations that allow a very small percentage of people to sleep less than five or even less than three hours. But the over, overwhelming majority of us need seven hours to reduce our risk of developing a disease. And the final is take a little time and think about what enhances or detracts from your sense of vitality this week. Check out the Viscore thing if you want. Um, and please, you know, let me know what you think. Uh, thank you again for listening to Vi the Vitality Explorer News podcast. I simply love trying to uh, identify things that we all can do to improve our lives. I appreciate the listeners to this podcast. Uh, the numbers are growing very nicely, and it's really exciting for me to see that more and more people are, are joining uh, Vitality Explorers as well. So until next time, get out there and do your best to dare to be vital. Thank you for listening.